Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to be in uh, verse 11 is where we're going to start today. As you're turning there, a couple of things that I just want to be thankful for. Uh, number one is I'm thankful for our choir, praise team, and music leadership at Seneca Baptist. We are very grateful for them. They have led us to worship this morning and to God be the glory he alone is worthy secondly uh, I want to say thank you I want to say thank you uh, Seneca Baptist we've got a goal of $15,000 for international missions during the month of December for Lottie Moon and we are already at about that $10,000 mark so kudos guys way to go now here's the goal let's exceed our mark Let's exceed our mark um, in what we do so that more people would have the opportunity to hear about Jesus' first coming. We've heard of his second coming. We want everybody to respond to what he did first. And so we want that. So please give. Um, it goes to support missions and missionaries, church planting, disciple making all around our globe. I want to just... I'm on a soapbox about giving. I want to celebrate Seneca Baptist Church and what we've done. Over the last year, um, we have given away about $160,000 to $170,000 of budget money and designated giving. We've given it away to missions and missions enterprises and organizations and opportunities a hundred and sixty plus thousand dollars in a church our size. Isn't that an incredible God thing? Amen. God has been so faithful through you to give. Um, I want you to come back tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to have a, a church conference. And you say, woohoo, church conferences are so much fun. Well, I intend this one to be. We're going to vote on our budget this evening. Um, and we'll answer a few questions this evening on the budget very briefly. Uh, we've had a few questions that were asked. We'll address them. But um, we want to celebrate what God's done. I've got a video for you from Gary Hollingsworth, the president of the South Carolina Baptist, or Baptist uh, Convention of South Carolina. I said that three times. Uh, the South Carolina Baptist Convention president. He's got a video message for you. Um, and it's because of your generosity and of Seneca Baptist's generosity that we've got a message from him. I want you to come. I want you to celebrate with me what God's done. We're going to meet right in here at 6 p.m. All right? You there? Amen? All right. 
Also, uh, just to mention, um, it's, it's Tom and Diane's 40th anniversary. So pray for Diane, okay? 40 years of putting up with that guy. I mean, that's incredible. There we go. All right, so Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, if you would stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on and bring a put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fattened calf, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. Father, thank you for your word. Teach us now through the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus's name. And everybody said. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, we started in Luke chapter 15. We're going to preach these three weeks on Luke chapter 15. And um, last week, we talked about lost and found. How in this passage, there were four things that were lost. Uh, from verse 1 all the way to the end of the chapter, four things that were lost. There was a lost sheep. There was a lost coin. There was a lost younger brother. And there was a lost older brother. And so we talked about last week how this parable should probably be called the parable of the prodigal sons rather than the parable of the prodigal son. And you say, well, Ryan, I don't see that like you do. I want you to understand that the father or the, the one who is searching in every story, you've got the, the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves and he goes out to find them. You've got the lost coin and the lady tears the house apart to search for what is lost. She is going out to find it. And then you've got the younger son who comes back, and as he's a long way off, the father goes out of the house to 
bring his lost son back. And then at the party, after the, the party begins to happen, you've got the elder son. And where is he? He's on the outside of the party. And what does the father do? The father goes out of the house after the elder brother also. Most of the time we call it the parable of the prodigal son. But there's a lot of lost things here. Today, I want to spend some time with you talking about the two kinds of lostness. Two kinds of lostness in this passage. There's the younger brother lostness, which we probably all easily understand younger brother lostness. But then, in fact, there's elder brother lostness that is actually the focus of the story. It's the focus of the story. Why do I say that? I want you to hold your place there. And I want you to go back all the way to the beginning of chapter 15. There's a problem that arises. And Jesus tells these parables in response to the problem. Here's the problem. Verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3. So he told them this parable. There's some confusion happening, and it's kind of understandable. And it essentially goes something like this. If Jesus is really who he says he is, if he's from God, if he's a teacher, if he's a prophet, then why are sinners and tax collectors attracted to him and religious leaders are frustrated by him? Why is it that he welcomes the sinner and the tax collector, but he often rebukes the Pharisee and the religious leader? Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And so they're trying to understand this. And so these parables are actually addressed to the ones who did the grumbling. And that's the Pharisees and scribes, those religious leaders. So Jesus gives them three parables to teach one big point. Here's the point that God the Father longs to restore the sinner to himself. Isn't that good news? The last parable is the parable of the prodigal son or parable of the prodigal sons. See, both of them are lost. Both of them are lost. We understand younger brother lostness, but today we're going to try to understand elder brother lostness. Elder brother lostness. Now, you might find yourself that you are or have been that younger brother who is, doesn't really care about the father, but you just want freedom. And so you've left and you've run off a long ways and and now you're coming back. God's drawing you back to himself or you have come back. You might be the younger brother. But today, some of us, we might find ourselves better fitting in the older brother's shoes. And so I want us to see that. So I want to make a comparison of the two kinds of lostness here. Okay, the younger brother and the elder brother lostness out of this passage. I want you to see in this passage that both are idolatrous. Both are idolatrous. Here's what I mean by that. They want what the father has more than they want a relationship with the father himself. See, the younger son, he says, give me the share of property that's coming to me when you die. In other words, dad, I really don't want anything to do with you. I only want what what you have to give me. And we say, whoa, how shameful that is. But look at the older brother. He's idolatrous also. He says, I've obeyed you and I've obeyed you and I've done everything that you have and I've slaved for you, but you've never given me a stinking goat. What does he want? He doesn't want the father. He wants what the father has to offer. Both of them thought that their true joy would be experienced from the father's or by the father's possessions, not in his presence. Both of them. If I can just get the share of property, I can go off and I can live however I want to live. And it's going to be amazing. 
And the elder brother said to himself, if I just had a goat, I'd have a party with everybody else except for my dad. Did you see that? Do you see it in the scriptures? Both thought that their value was based on their actions. The younger brother, he went away and squandered all that. And he came back and he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The elder brother thought his righteous actions made him deserving of the father's love. One has a broken ship, broken relationship with the father because of disobedience. But the elder brother has a broken relationship with his father because of his obedience. I just, yeah, I said that. One younger brother, he's lost in the world. The elder brother, he's lost inside his father's house. And that would be like me saying one person is lost out there. But there's somebody else lost in here. See, these things are not the gospel. These things are not the gospel. See, the younger son, he thought that he owed the father because of his disobedience. When he comes home, he says, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants so I can pay you back. He thought he owed the father because of his disobedience, but the elder brother thought the father owed him because of his obedience. He got the fattened calf and you haven't even given me a goat. Do you see it? Do you see there's two kinds of lostness in this passage? We, many of us have never been taught this before. We've always been taught that the younger brother's the problem here. But in fact, this parable is actually addressed to the elder brothers in the crowd. And some of us are elder brothers. See, that's not the gospel. The gospel says that everybody's a sinner and everybody needs a savior. Whether you're good or whether you're bad, whether you line up with the younger brother or whether you line up with the elder brother, you're a sinner and you need a savior. Yeah, yeah, I know. I understand that, Ryan. I get it. But here's what I want you to understand. Our badness the bad things that we do is not a hindrance or a barrier to the grace that God can show us. And our goodness and our righteous behavior has never been a help to the grace and the mercy that God shows us. Our sinful, sinfulness does not make it harder for God to love me. And my righteousness does not make it easier for God to love me. Both. The sinner and the moral person are separated from God and need a savior. The gospel says that you are far more wicked than you could ever dare imagine, yet you are far more loved and accepted in Christ than you could dare to dream. I don't know about you, but the, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more sinful I find myself to be. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more loved I find myself to be. See, there are two lost brothers here. There's younger brother lostness and elder brother lostness. 
So I want to talk to you for a minute, maybe and give you some signs of what it would look like if, if you have some elder brother lostness in you. And let me just confess that I, I think all of us have some level of elder brother lostness in each one of us. Now, let me prove that. So the elder brother. Now, younger brother, we get it. It's almost like, how could you tell if somebody's a Christian? You used to be able to say, well, at 11 o'clock, I'm going to go downtown and I'm going to see who's out there. And those are all the unsaved people. Right? You'd see the crowd. You say, all right, all these people are heathens, right? They need Jesus. But I need you to understand that the elder brother, he's not out squandering the father's inheritance. He's not living wildly. He's not in a pigsty. He's not cursing God. He's not breaking the laws of God. He's not outside the church. Elder brother lostness is way more difficult to pinpoint. So how do you know? And I think the scriptures give us some ways to know if we've got elder brother lostness in us. Get ready. Verse 28 says that the elder brother was angry. The elder brother was angry. Now... He's angry for a reason. The reason that the elder brother's angry is because he's comparing his life with his younger brother's life. And he's angry because the father seems to be treating the younger brother way better than the elder brother. And he's angry about that. Verse 28 says this. He was angry and he refused to go in. And so his father came out and entreated him. He got a calf, dad. I didn't even get a goat. And I don't know if you've ever had goat, but beef's way better. They don't deserve it. Have you ever said that? I deserve it. Why is it that all those sinners out there are just living the best of lives and it doesn't seem like God has any problem with their sin. How is it that they've got all the stuff and they've got all the money and they've got the house at the beach and the house on the lake and the house in the mountains? How is it that they have all that stuff and I'm living for you and I don't have a single thing? See, an elder brother thinks like this. They either think one of two ways and they get angry about it. I'm good and therefore I'm valuable. And you should treat me accordingly. Or I'm bad, I'm sinful, and therefore I'm worthless. And I need you to understand that if you think one of those two ways, I'm good and so I'm valuable and so God should treat me a certain way. That's elder brother mentality. Or you say, well, I'm, I'm sinful and I don't deserve anything and you should treat me that way that's younger brother mentality see the gospel says that I am both sinful and extremely valuable in Jesus Christ that's what the gospel says that's the good news of the gospel see he's angry the second thing about the elder brother the sign if you're an elder brother is that he he doesn't actually love the law but he hates the law here's what I mean he hates the law of God that he's obeying I want you to look down in verse 29. But he answered his father. He said, look here, buddy. All right, that was Ryan Perry version. Look here. I, these many years I, I've served you. That word serve is do loss. That could mean slave. I've been, a, I've slaved on this place for you. Right? 
I've served you all these years. Listen to what he says. And I never disobeyed your command. I never did it. And what is he? He's angry, isn't he? He's upset about that. See, people who believe that it's their obedience that saves them, that God's pleased with them only when they're good, that they don't love God. They don't love God's law. It's a burden to them. And so we see the elder brother, he's actually using the law to get exactly what he wants. Rather than being one who loves God's law. And many of us, we don't love God's law. We don't delight in God's law. But we use God's law to get what our heart truly desires. And what our heart truly desires is something other than God. Do you see that? I served you. I obeyed you perfectly. And you didn't even give me a goat. What's the, young, or the elder brother actually want? A goat, not the father. And we're using the law. We sometimes use the law to get what we want. And when we don't get it, we get angry. So I have a question for you that I think every one of us needs to answer today. Why are you obeying the law? The law of God is good for us. The law of God has been given to us. The law of God is not nullified because we've been saved through Jesus. So why are you obeying the law? Why are you obeying the law? That's an important question. If you're obeying the law to get something in the end, you might just be an elder brother. See, a Christian obeys the love or obeys God out of a love for God. See, a Christian says, because you saved me, I will obey you. Because you saved me, I'll obey you. An elder brother says, I'll obey you so that you might save me. An elder brother says, I've obeyed you and I've obeyed you and I've served you and you've never given me nada. See, a Christian loves God's law. If you have been saved by grace through faith, you don't hate God's law. You love God's law. I want, you, I want to read a couple of scriptures. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, verse 47 says this, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 72 of Psalm 119 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. See, the elder brother doesn't love the law. He's using the law to get what he really loves. But the, the saved person, the Christian, loves God's law. And it's better, better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You see the difference? Are you seeing it, church family? See, the third thing in the passage, a sign that you might be the elder brother, you might have some elder brother in you, is that you've got no assurance. You've got no assurance. I want you to look down at verse 31. I want you to hear what the father says. He says, and he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that's mine is yours. He had no assurance of that. Did the elder brother believe that all that the father had belonged to him? 
No. No, because if he did, he wouldn't be complaining about what he didn't have. I want you to imagine that you are a business owner and you're a billionaire and and you also own a a, a small business that uh, has one of those give a penny, take a penny things. I've used this illustration before. You've got to give a penny, take a penny jar out on the front counter of uh, your shop and you're working the shop that day and you uh, somebody asks you for something behind the counter, you turn around and while they, you turn around, they steal the change that's in your give a penny, take a penny jar. Are you tracking with me, folks? Now, how silly would it be as a billionaire business owner to get angry about the pennies they've stolen when you've got billions in the bank? See, the elder brother didn't understand that if he's a Christian, he's got everything in the father's house. But really what he's angry about is the fattened calf that he's not getting. Do you see that? There's no assurance. He says, all that I have is yours, son. If you wanted a goat, you could have asked for it. All you had to do was ask. And you didn't have it because you didn't ask me for it. And he didn't ask probably because he didn't know where he stood. I don't know where I stand with my dad. So I'm just not going to ask him for anything. I don't want him to get upset with me. I've asked a lot of people, do you know that if you were to die today, if you would go to heaven? And I've heard a lot of people give me this answer. Well, I sure hope so. What does that reveal? That you have no assurance. I just hope that I've, I've done enough or been good enough that God would let me into heaven. See, an elder brother doesn't know where he stands with God. And so he works hard and he tries hard and he's, he's, he's really good because he wants to make the father happy so he gets whatever he wants from the father. And I just need you to understand that's not the gospel. The gospel does not ever say, well, if you don't know where you stand with God, work more, try harder, be better, and God will be happy with you. The gospel says Jesus came, lived the sinless life, and fully pleased the Father through his life so that he could die a sinner's death on the cross. He lived in your place and died in your stead so that God would be pleased when you trust in him. That's the gospel. See, an elder brother doesn't know where he stands with God. But listen to me. But an elder brother knows where everybody else stands. Listen to me. Have y'all noticed that? Have y'all noticed that? You talk to somebody about their salvation and you go, I hope so. But I know they're not over there. That's exactly what the elder brother does. All that I have is yours. But when this son of yours, dad, when he squandered all your money on prostitutes out there you gave him the fatted calf he didn't know where he stands with the father but he knows right where the younger brother stands doesn't he beware if you don't have assurance but you have assurance about everybody else beware that might be older brother in you but when you're a sinner and you've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus that flip-flops I don't know where anybody else stands, but I know that I stand on solid ground with Jesus. 
I don't know your heart, but I know that God has forgiven me of my wicked one. I don't have assurance for you, but I show enough got assurance for me. And it's not because I'm good. It's because Jesus was good. Do you see it? Younger brother, elder brother. He's got no joy. I got it. Y'all got to listen faster. He's got no joy. I want you to see that he was in the father's house, but he's far from the father's heart. There was no dancing in the elder brother's heart that day, was there? He didn't say, oh, music. I get to go in. There was no joy for him. No joy. Everybody's celebrating, even the servants, but not the elder brother. He's outside. There's no joy for the elder brother. Ask a Christian, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. Let me tell you about it. I am a sinner who has been saved by the grace of God. Joy fills their hearts. Dancing. I mean, you just let me tell you about how good God's been to me. You ask an elder brother, are you a Christian? Of course I am. Why would you even ask a question like that? There's no joy. They get defensive. I go to church. I'm a good person. I try real hard. I obey the law. I tithe once a year. Right? Of course I'm saved. There's no joy for them. There's only frustration from them. If there's frustration rather than joy in your heart, I want you to check your heart. You might have some elder brother in you. The elder brother can't forgive. He can't forgive. You can see that in the text. I won't talk about that much. If you've got problems forgiving other people for their sins, you just might be an elder brother. Have some elder brother in you. The elder brother hates evangelism. I'm stretching a little bit. But here's what I want you to see. The elder brother's not joyful wanting to restore the younger brother back to the father's house. The elder brother doesn't want the younger brother in the father's house at all. He, he doesn't, the elder brother here might not want to see those sinners out there restored to Jesus. They don't deserve it. I do. And that's exactly why he wrote this parable to the Pharisees. Because sinners and tax collectors were eating with Jesus. You don't like evangelism because you don't think they're worth it. So what do you do? Here's my conclusion. So what do you do? You, you might say to yourself, like I've said to me this week as I've been preparing, man, I have some elder brother tendencies in me. Or you might even say to yourself, I am the elder brother. And I'm not lost outside the church. I'm actually, in fact, lost inside the church. You remember Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of our day. He said the greatest mission field to the church is in its, in its pews. He said, this is Billy Graham talking, so don't get angry at me, get angry with him. He said, upwards of 70% of the people who sit in the pews of a church on any given Sunday are lost. I don't know how he knows that. But that should cause us to think for a minute. You might realize that you have some elder brother in you, or 
you are that elder brother who's been in the church your entire life, yet you've never trusted in Jesus. We all have some elder brother tendency in us, don't we? So in this parable, we see the younger brother restored. We see it. I mean, go back to verse 20. He arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him, threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Get the best robe. Get the ring for his finger. Get sandals for his feet. My son's alive again. We see the younger brother restored. I want you to understand that confession happened after the embrace. For the Christian, we repent and trust Christ because we felt the embrace of the cross. We felt the mercy of God. He feels the mercy of the Father and he spills it all to his Father. But what about the elder brother? Can he be restored? And the answer is question mark. I love Jesus. He does not answer the question, does he? At the end of this parable of the prodigal son, he leaves it open-ended. Why? Because he's talking to the Pharisees and he's leaving it in the Pharisees' hands. It's for you to deal with. Let's be honest, it's for us to deal with. That's the, the, the job of the preacher is to preach the word and let people respond to it. How God leads them to respond. Can he be restored? He left it in the hands of the elder brother. Jesus is warning the hearer. And I want you to hear me, church, as I close. Jesus is warning the hearer that it's not just sin that keeps people from God. It's also goodness that keeps people from God. Our morality and our goodness and our self-righteousness is just as dangerous as our sin is. Our obedience is just as damning as our disobedience. Jesus is teaching that the greater danger to salvation isn't sin, but morality. So the younger brother, he needed to repent of his badness. What does the elder brother need to do? He needs to repent of trusting in his goodness. Don't you remember Jesus was asked a question, what do I need to do to get into heaven? To inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus says, keep all the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, I've kept all those all my life. Liar. I've kept all those all my life. Jesus says, well, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler walks away sad. Why? Because his possessions were great. And Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. The disciples look at Jesus and say, well, who can be saved? And Jesus responds, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, the rich man needed to find his poverty before he could trust in Jesus. The elder brother needs to understand that he's just as much of a sinner as the younger brother is, just in different ways. The younger brother was trusting in all these things. The elder brother was trusting in all these things, but they were all the wrong things. 
There's only one thing to trust in to be saved. And it's not in your morality. It's in Christ's finished work on a cross. I, I have to repent of my goodness. If you're an elder brother, if there's elder brother in you, you've got to repent of it. Why? Because if you don't, you're always going to say to yourself, well, I just got to do better and try harder and be more obedient. Then God will love me. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Just as the younger son, he came to his senses and he returned to the father, the elder brother have, must have the same experience as the younger son did. Oh, man, I've walked away from my father's house and trusted in all these things for joy when joy actually is right there being with my dad. The older brother needs to have the same experience. The cross is the reminder that our good deeds can't save us. But Romans 3.24 says, but we are justified by his grace as a gift. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Your sins don't make you undeserving of God's mercy. Your goodness does not make you deserving of God's mercy. All have sinned and all are justified by his grace as a gift. If you're the younger son or daughter, run back to the father. He is waiting to embrace you. And he doesn't care what you smell like or what clothes you're wearing. He cares that you run back to him. There is mercy there in the father's embrace. And he will clothe you and make you new. He will restore you to right relationship with himself. He'll put a robe on your back. A ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. There's mercy for the younger brother or sister. There's also mercy available for the elder brother. So if you're an elder brother, trust in the grace of God to save you too. As I close today, and I pray... My prayer has been that God would have opened your eyes to see his word in a new light. And that you and I would be drawn into that embrace where the father is just waiting for you. And he, you would hear him say, son, come, come home. Daughter, come back. whether you're a younger sibling or an elder sibling. I'm going to pray for us. Would you just meet with the Lord as I pray? Right there, silence. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. I'm just going to ask you to do something for me if you're willing to take a first step of obedience with the Lord to respond to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to get up and come down here and to confess all your sins before everybody. But I'm going to ask you that if, 
if you feel like today that God's convicted you a little bit, that you have some elder brother in you, or you are the elder brother, I'm going to ask you if you would just kind of say, Ryan, that's me. Slide up your hand. It's just me looking. I'm the only one. So if you trust me, please, I see, I see you. Thank you. I see you. Ryan, pray for me. I just need to be prayed for. I, want, I don't want this elder brother in me. I see that sweet little hand back there. Is there anybody else that just says, Ryan, I need you to, I need you to know that, that I'm going to be working on this. And I'm an elder brother. Give you another couple seconds. I see your hand back there. Thank you for being obedient. Well, the rest is up to you today. You do what the Lord leads you to do. If you want to come down and you want to get on your knees and recommit your life to the Lord and say, I'm stopping, I'm not going to trust in anything else other than Jesus, you do that. If you're that younger brother, return home to the Father. He's calling you. Father, I, I, I've done what I can do. I'm powerless to do anything else. So, Father, I believe I've preached your word to the best of my ability today. And, Father, I'm asking you to, to make each one of us more like Jesus. Through conviction of sin and through the, the Holy Spirit in each one of us believers that is whispering in our ear, return. Trust in Christ. Father, would you please work in our hearts and make us a church of people who know we're sinners saved by grace and now we have been justified and sanctified and that we would be a haven and a hospital for sinners, the sick, the lame, the poor, and the naked that we would be willing to accept everybody in because we know that that was us apart from God's grace. Father, we love you and we need you. And we ask in these moments that as we sing, you'd continue stirring our hearts. In Christ's name. Everybody said, Amen. Would you stand as we sing?